Yes, she's got legs and she can use them. That's the uh, yeah, thing. very well. And more on that later. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into Sheep Dip, brought to you by Raising the Bar. We are global leaders in team building with sheep. In this series of podcasts, we're in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in business and learning and development. We are exploring their insights on nurturing and developing teams within this volatile and rather crazy world that we're living in right now. So I'm Caroline, Caroline Palmer, and I'm top dog at Raising the Bar. And I'm Chris Farnsworth, head shepherd, and together we started this rather unusual business. So today we are delighted to be speaking with Rachel, Rachel Woods. Now, the first time that Chris and Rachel first met, she was HR business partner at Nutrition Danone. And since then, just this year, in fact, perfect timing, I think we'll hear about later, she has started her own business as Coach in Nature. When we first engaged with you, Rachel, we had done a couple of pieces of work with teams at Danone and you got in touch because you wanted to have a chat, walk and a talk with Chris, which actually very, very much plays into your whole coach in nature. In fact, that's what it what it was doing. Yeah. Can you can you remember much about that time and meeting Chris, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I do. Actually, um, I was I just finished my second year at Henley of their Masters in Coaching and Behavioural Change. And I was formulating my hypothesis for my dissertation year. And I was thinking about the impact of nature on uh, individuals, whether it be teams or, or solo business people, when they are coached in a natural environment versus a meeting room. And I was trying to meet with as many sort of outdoor enthusiasts, if you like, to gauge their thoughts on what benefits came with working in the outdoors. So obviously I knew about the work with the sheep because our supply chain team at, at uh, Nutrition had been out with you guys and had a whale of a time and actually came back really buzzing from what they did with you. And I thought there must be something not just about the time together and possibly not even just about the sheep, possibly with being in the open air um, with a sort of freedom to run around, I guess. And I was wondering about that sort of embodied activity. I was restricted to 15,000 words and the danger was I was getting into so many ideas. It could have been a book. <laughs> so I had to rein myself in and Chris really helped me do that. We went for a walk across the grounds at Henley, which are beautiful. It was fascinating to listen to Chris's views on, on what things worked when you take teams into into sort of natural environments and have them working with creatures of nature so or you know we don't we think of sheep as being so domestic or farmed they're still natural creatures so it was very much for me relevant to hear what chris had to say for my my hypothesis yeah rachel i remember that walk well and i do always remember somebody saying to me it's not the scary zone it's always the adventure zone and i think when you're in that adventure area you learn so much more and if it's mixed with fun then it's a double winner wouldn't you say oh a hundred percent and then you've only got to look at the faces of this gang that came back i think i saw them the day after and they were still chatting about it and laughing at each other and themselves for having you know i think somebody fell over but that's kind of normal if you trip over a tuffet of grass or something and some were squeamish about the animals and some weren't so much some were really kind of competitive and others were a bit standoffish and they just noticed so much more about themselves and about each other and for bonding that's that's just magical oh that's that's good memories good memories so uh, <laughs> rachel tell, tell us a bit more about your business um coach in nature and the kind of teams that you work with now 
Well, I think somewhat due to my epic timing to, to launch in April of this year, <laughs> right in the middle of lockdown, <laughs> I haven't had an opportunity to work with many teams this year, which is really sad. But what it has given me the opportunity to do is think about what's possible and what can be available to teams in terms of accessing nature. And one thing that I really, really wanted to make sure I could offer, and, and something as simple as a walk, which doesn't seem particularly exciting when you think about team building activities and team days and but some of the most powerful moments the team I was in the HR team I was in and we were we were very very tight as a team we were incredibly trusting of each other incredibly open we managed to make that way because we would quite often go on actually quite long walks with each other with these sort of charity days and we would choose pretty much every year to go for a long walk. And that, again, is that, going back to Chris's point on adventure, it's that shared adventure. And also I think for the first one we did on hottest day of the year, I think it was 35 degrees it capped out at. You bond better when you go through a sort of shared, not quite a trauma, but not far off. (laughs) Because you've just got that thing to get over. You've got that sort of almost Dunkirk spirit. So we can do this and we can push on through. And we all suffered that day. That was an uncomfortable walk. But it did really, for me, totally consolidate and granulize this idea of taking teams for a walk together and maybe introducing a touch of discomfort. Now, not 35 degree heat. That's silly. But a touch of, I know where I am, but I could get them a little bit lost and have them find their way out. So little things like that, which can actually bring a team together, but it's still a very safe environment. And a bit like what you guys do, there is that little element of, if you're a bit nervous around livestock, that little element of danger, that shared sort of uh, challenge. And that I think is really powerful. And that's definitely something I want to introduce more in my work. But obviously we need to be able to take a a few more people a bit further out. The moment now the focus is on putting it out there and doing it safely and the outdoors at the moment is a great place to be relatively safe not in the buildings i love your point actually it's the awareness of your environment which makes the outdoors such a great place to be when you have to be aware that mother nature might throw something at you that you're not quite prepared for and you just got to pull it out of the bag would you agree Oh, totally, totally. I think there's nothing that makes you feel more human and more humble and as small <laughs> as Mother Nature can make you feel sometimes. I always say she's, she's my business partner. I've said that for a long time. Nature is my business partner. We're quite lucky. It's quite temperate. We, weather is relatively predictable. But I've worked in Bodmin. I've worked on Dartmoor. I've worked down, down uh, near Exmoor. And things can change very, very quickly. You know, the fells and the dales and the moors they will tell you that mists can come in in the space of half an hour and you can be miles away from anywhere in a complete sort of whiteout. But also it's then it's a mindset thing. Then you've got a whole piece around how do we now need to be in this particular situation to get ourselves into the better space to be safe and find our way out. And that's, you know, they're really great lessons for actually when, when stuff happens and when, when the whatnot hits the fan in business, actually that's not much different. You have to shift your mindset. You have to look at what's possible. You have to look at how prepared you are. And if you're not that prepared, you need to innovate quickly. I totally agree. Mindset is is number one. I always say that about shearing sheep. I know it's a slightly different game. But the mindset, when you, when you go into a flock, you've got, I shear about 200 sheep a day. And if I'm shearing by myself, the hardest sheep to shear is the first one. Because mm-hmm. up until I've started the first one, I can walk away. I can always say, ah, oh, it's 
too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry. Any excuse will do and I can walk away from those 200 sheep. But once I've done one, I've got 199 more to do. And I need to make sure the mindset of not only myself, but everybody in the team, because I don't just, you know, shearing is just one part of the team activity. But actually, I have to get everybody committed to the same task. However hot it gets, whatever the, the conditions are, we need to finish the whole, the whole flock. And, and mindset is completely everything. What I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, your business partner, Mother Nature, is that <laughs> I'm always surprised, actually, how many clients or prospective clients, I should say, ask me the question, what happens if it rains or snows or whatever time of year we're in? And I say, sometimes I'm a little bit facetious. It depends on, <laughs> it depends on the relationship. <laughs> we'll I'm get wet. <laughs> but uh, you know, generally, I, and then I say, no, joking aside, um, it's the old saying of there's no such thing as poor weather. It is inappropriate clothing, which I know is a bit of a cliche. But I, I follow it up by saying, after all, whenever is your business climate perfect? And you touched on that. It is an instant analogy or metaphor, if you like, for what they're going through. And I mean, right now, obviously, things are changing so fast. But certain industries that we've dealt with over the years, and we've been going eight years now, are very fast moving. You know, tech, finance, really fast moving. And, and they need to have that echoed in the activity out in the field. And that's exactly what we do. It's interesting, isn't it? All the different analogies that there are. So Rachel, what do you feel are the most common challenges that, that really hold back a team from perhaps being, you know, happy, productive? And I'm talking sort of generally speaking, not necessarily during these COVID times. Where I've seen teams go very wrong, or where they've become disorganized and disillusioned, unhappy, and not actively pulling in the same direction, in fact the opposite, or going in different directions, is I think when leadership falls down or is vacant for a significant period of time with no clear replacement. So I know when, when I've been in my corporate role, we've been in roles where a manager has suddenly become ill and have you know, left the organization on sick leave for a while. And there hasn't been that extra layer of pastoral care put back in. And then you see in the team, if, if particularly in quite new teams or quite inexperienced teams, you do see some jostling to fill the void. And this is where I think you see the ugly side of egos. It's not that confidence and we can do this and yes, let's get on and do that. And we'll share out the, the, the tasks. You can see a little bit of a power struggle going on between different characters or everyone shies away from taking any kind of leadership whatsoever. And then it's just in sort of apathetic maintenance mode. And, and then there's no excitement or motivation, whatever was there to spark that, that catalyst has, has disappeared. And when you have teams this really well, has had to go away for one reason or another, their team has been set up to a point where everyone feels empowered, everyone knows their roles, and they pull together and they take different leadership roles depending on the context, but they all know each other's strengths, they all know what's expected, and they fill that void, but they don't do it through a power struggle, they do it through a collaborative effort. And that's when it goes really, really right that awareness of each other and that trust in each other that one of them could step away and it wouldn't all fall to pieces. It's always interesting the different management styles which come over when doing Raising the Bar. I always remember this chalk and cheese where one manager came out and he said, no, no, I'm part of the team, I'm part of the team. They had a little bit of, well, they didn't have any success. And so he goes, no, no, I'm watching. 
And so the team rallies around, ignores him, and just about to get the sheep in the pen. And he goes, make way for me. I'm part of the team as well. And you're just thinking, gosh, you know, that's amazing that the team accommodated him. <laughs> and I've seen the other end of the spectrum, which is where a manager walked out in the field, says, look, I know nothing about sheep. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I'm happy to facilitate this exercise, but don't look for me for any answers. I don't have a clue. That team said, no, no, we want you to facilitate. You do it really well. They piled in all the ideas. And I'll tell you what, the success was just oozing out of them. The sheep just were so compliant. And there was no difference between the two, two groups, except for the leadership. And you're so right. When you empower the team to do the right thing, success is assured. Oh, 100%. And the humility goes such a long way. And don't get me wrong, if you overplay it, you know, that touch of humility and that humbleness to say, I know what I don't know. And, you know, we're all in the same boat because none of us really know anything about sheep unless somebody does. And then finding out what's, what's the strength of the team. And yeah, like you say, empowering them to step up and have a go. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I love to see. There's not enough of it. But the interesting thing is, because sometimes we do get people who do know a little bit about sheep, but this is the question. Do they share it with the group? Because often it's something you don't know about me is I know a lot about sheep. So, you know, they might have a, a small flock or somebody came from New Zealand and ran a thousand sheep. <laughs> he kept that secret. He did wow. not share it with the group because he was very humble he didn't actually make a big song and dance about what he'd done in the past but actually he didn't feel comfortable at blurting it out in the group what does that say about the team it says they haven't really spent any time socially you you find so much more out about them when they tell you the, the roles that they've played and the different jobs that they've had and how they've come to be where they are and i love it when teams share that with each other because it just again it's that extra layer of openness and trust and bonding and when you layer these things on top of each other it's incredibly powerful when you're walking and talking and you're simply putting those ideas out there and what you're doing is allowing it to to fall on the ground people hear it and it will either germinate an idea which you'll then go down and explore or it's just left on the ground and you walk on it's a great feeling of comradeship even on a one-to-one -one coaching session if i'm walking shoulder to shoulder with somebody there's that feeling of we are both walking in the same direction the pace is matched we're thinking openly and you'd be surprised people share things that at the end they quite often say i wasn't expecting to say that to you very interesting to see what comes out because i think the guard comes down more when you are somatically moving in the same direction with another human as it would be if you were static and standing face to face eyeball to eyeball mm -hmm. and i think it it happens it in the field to a certain extent it's a very level playing field excuse the pun yeah. but um, it, it, it tends to take away most of the hierarchy is, as Chris says I mean it's only very occasionally that we might have somebody who has had experience and even then we don't necessarily know or they don't necessarily reveal it and I just think that uh, that all plays its part by them all being in this in this field this alien environment and they really don't have a clue none of them so that's quite good in that sense so it takes away all yeah. 
goes and things and and then yeah people as, as Chris says it makes it comfortable for them to come up with ideas or at least it should do so Rachel what about um I mean you've worked with so many teams I know is there one in particular like a, a sort of transformation if you like that really stands out to you yeah, do you know what? When I worked with Nutritia, we had teams, quite large teams of nurses. So they've, they've got something like 145, 150 nurses across the whole UK. And they're quite interesting teams. They're not physically proximate to each other. It's very difficult to have, you know, they don't have daily contact in terms of seeing each other every day in an office. And we found a particular territory, a particular account where the customer was not making things particularly easy. The nursing team themselves were struggling both with this particular customer, but also I think with some of the dynamics of their role, some of the demands of their patients and a desire to help probably beyond the scope of what the contract was expecting them to do. And certainly outside of the scope of what we were clinically permitted to do. So there was lots of little nuances of things that they could and couldn't do. And they'd, they'd fallen foul of some of these policy rules and regulations. And it got quite messy. So there was there was a sickness through stress so that obviously depleted the number of nurses on the ground. There was some disciplinaries where these policies hadn't been adhered to. And that was a procedural thing, which, you know, had to happen because you have to go through these policies to make sure everything's handled fairly. But more so than that, what really impressed me was one particular nurse sort of piped up in one of their, their, their weekly calls and said, do you know what? I really want to make this work. I want to be the one that's the catalyst to kind of turn this account around. I want to galvanize the team and I'm volunteering basically to be a conduit between HR and this client. So to kind of fill those gaps in communication and the rest of the team are like, well, are you sure? And we're not sure that's possible. And, but bless her, she talked them round and working through the disciplinary process, this, this woman, basically she took it on the chin. She took the sort of punitive measures that had to be put in for not following the right policies on the chin. A year later, she got promoted to team lead. And the team, the ones that were ill, came back. Their, you know, their, their, their stress had, had dissipated somewhat once they saw the shifts in the team, once they saw the, the shift in the culture of the team and the relationship with the clients. There was lots of different strings being pulled. And it was a very systemic look at where they sat as a team both in the nursing organization within um, Nutritia, but also how they then interacted with the sales organization and the marketing organization. So she looked at things much more broadly, much more holistically than just, I'm a nurse, that's my task. And I think as humans, we tend to do that. We tend to be a little bit, this is me, that's the problem I need to solve. So it's me and the problem. And that's the dynamic. Sometimes you might bring in some help. So it's me, these people and the problem. Um, but I think when teams start to look at themselves as part of the bigger picture, as part of the bigger machine, and then start to look at the other bits of that machine and what they could be slash should be doing to then engage with them and work with them and say, well, this actually, this is in all of our interests if we can make this work and being that sort of conduit to make everything function. That was the magic with that team. That was the, 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 the turning point that shifted. And actually that client then started sending these gushy messages about how great this team were. Yeah. A year before he'd been threatening to pull the plug on the whole contract. Wow. It's got to be that word trust. When you can really have that conflict and take it on the chin, knowing it's coming from a position of help makes yeah. a big difference and again it's a bit like the dog when you're working with the dog it's only trying to do its best because 
as a shepherd, I've given it the wrong instruction or I haven't been clear enough is what I need to take on board, not that the dog is doing that wrong. Yes. They are doing what's natural and they want is <laughs> they're busting a gut to do it just because it's not quite the same idea as you've got. It's your fault for not getting the right message across. And that really does play into teams, doesn't it? That trust, oh, that empathy, totally. everything can make it happen. Totally. So as you were talking about that, you know, doing their best and busting gut to do what they, they were, you know, bred to do or want to do or uh, inspired to do. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want to directly correlate a nurse with a sheepdog. But actually, as an analogy, and as that, like you see, that passion and that drive to do what is so inherently them, uh, for them, it's care. So it, it's just, it's lovely to see when that can be leveraged in the right way. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. Very emotive, as you can imagine. Um, and again, I say, if this played out across a year, but an incredible team. And I, as far as I know, to this day, are still absolutely flying. That's a really good story. How would that play out? I'm not answering. This isn't a question, by the way. <laughs> how, how would that How would that situation be handled? You know, today, 2020, where um, it's so hard to to have any sort of face to face communication, and it, it kind of really leads me to to the actual question, which is with so many people working from home now or, or even a mix so you've got this sort of hybrid team management going on now what do you what do you feel is perhaps one of the biggest challenges for for people nowadays in the office or for the leaders whichever way you want to look at it i think actually a lot of it isn't isn't that different from what it would be anyway there's that element of we talk about proximity as being physically proximate and sometimes that's a blessing and a curse but i do think if you are used to as a team being together then it's a very strange and new way of working to suddenly be apart. I think then there is in, in the leadership, a fear of their influence not being felt in the right ways or because they don't see their team as regularly as they would like to, i.e. working across the same desk from them, even if they're not talking that often, working in the same space, you notice when somebody's not feeling quite right or you notice when somebody's struggling a little bit. And I do wonder if there's that, that fear of being further away, that extra layer of detachment, if your only contact is via phone or Zoom. So I do think there's a, there's a fear there in leadership, but also in teams. So like, what if I can't get hold of my manager when I need to? I'm used to sitting across the desk and just going, oh, can you just? So there's a, a real shift in, in getting used to a different way of working. But then it's kind of experiencing all the normal stuff that happens that you would deal with there and then in, in it's maybe an office environment you're suddenly having to deal with remotely and it's something that may be really really simple to fix in an office but when you're remote it's actually quite difficult and there's so much complexity and i do think there's a an element in the complexity which isn't i don't know that it's completely understood or given as much focus as it possibly could have i think we've muddled through so far people have been working on the kitchen table and in the airing cupboard and on the bottom of the bed or wherever they happen to be able to set up a laptop not everyone has the space for a home office and now we're moving into a space where a lot of offices are saying actually i think everybody could work from home there's no reason to, to kind of have such a big office and maybe they'll start to downsize a little bit depending on people's capability to work um, remotely but then we're looking at much more permanent solutions to possibly some potential musculoskeletal problems as a health and safety element there. And a lot of that is being loaded on the team leads and the managers and the leadership to sort out. And ultimately, actually, CEOs now, as you, as you know, they, you sit at the top of the tree, whose head rolls if health and safety goes wrong? 
but new practices, more sustainable ongoing practices, things now need to embed safely and well in order to take businesses forward so that they can be agile, so that they can react and see what's coming. Because I think the heart, I think when we talk about a VUCA world, mm. I think the U in that has got a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Given that we didn't see this coming, it surprised all of us. We didn't see it lasting as long as it has. We've got Brexit coming up. Nobody really can do well, Nobody's been able to tell me what that really means in practice. So there's a huge U of unknown <laughs> coming down the line. The only thing we absolutely can control and influence is our mindset, our reactions to things and how we choose then to be with each other, whatever comes down the line. I do understand that. And it's the unpredictability of the sheep which which always catch you out i mean i always find often time is tight you know sometimes you don't allow enough time to really have a good look at the sheep and so you do the drive past or the drive round as it's getting dusk have a look at the sheep and all of those are sort of okay but actually there's nothing like getting out of the car and walking around the sheep because it's that face-to-face time which can't be replaced and even though I often have customers away who have sheep and I look after them you know they'll send me a video or send me pictures I can have a very good stab at what the elements might be but there's nothing at all can replace the face-to-face we're going to look in your eyes to go, right, that's the problem. Because sheep are really good at hiding their thoughts. <laughs> and I so think are humans. They do hide the thoughts very tight to their chest and they're not going to let them go unless you're down there personally. It's observing the behaviours, isn't it? Mm. It's, uh, yeah. And how do you get a baseline norm for behaviours to notice if something's different or wrong? Exactly. If you don't meet these people very often, or you only ever see them on a Zoom from the, well, the chest up, basically, that's it. You've never seen the rest of them. So you don't notice nervousness or a sense of calm. And you can pick up something, like you say, you get a snapshot. But it's not, you know, when you, when you work with people quite closely, you, you notice when something's off about them, even if it's not particularly obvious. It's sort of there. But you may be recruiting somebody now in an organisation to a team who has never physically met the team. So again, how do you get that baseline of... Are you normally quite a dour personality in terms of, you know, are you quite sort of pragmatic and very sort of sort of stable sounding or you know, do you always sound really sceptical? Is that in your character? Is that your nature? Or actually, is this you on a bad day? How do we know? How do we find that out? And that's that's the thing I think that's quite concerning, I suppose, where we're starting now. And, and you know, I did a little bit of work with Dan on just after I left, actually, to help them recruit for new team members who may never have actually physically seen the rest of their team. They may have never been in the same physical proximity. Interesting dynamic. It does make me think of a sketch they did, and it was a newsreader, and I remember it well. She was sat there in front of their saying, the Queen is now giving £1,000 to every single person, or something outrageous. And then she pushed the desk to one side and started to dance. <laughs> and, and everybody went, oh my gosh, she's actually got legs. Because <laughs> in those days, you only had the headshot and yeah. nobody knew what was underneath the desk. I mean, I know nowadays they change the format and they 
walk around and seem a lot more casual. <laughs> back not so many years ago, you used to only have the headshot. Yeah, I remember. suddenly see somebody push the desk to one side and start dancing. You're going, wow, actually, there is more to that body than just chest upwards. If she's got legs and she can use them. That's uh, yeah, very well. Wasn't that more common wise? Wasn't it that was. I... For those of you who are listening in the States, because I know we have quite a few listeners coming in from the States, <laughs> please just go onto YouTube and look for... Yes. More common wise, Angela Rippon. Angela Rippon Christmas special or something. <laughs> an unusual link in the show notes today folks <laughs> so oh that's that that's been a really interesting discussion um rachel i know you've only set up your business fairly recently but is there anything you would like to share some sort of resource you'd like to share with our listeners that we could put a link to in the show notes oh do you know what? i would love to say yeah absolutely and here you go it's in development so i've been thinking recently around a self-awareness tool for individuals that uses a narrative and metaphors of, of nature. Early testing is suggesting actually for individuals that's incredibly powerful, it's working very well. And because it's based around effectively trees and ecosystems, when we think of ecosystems and we think of teams, actually there's absolutely no reason why that wouldn't work well for a team. Team awareness, self-awareness within the team, me within the team, who am I? Who are we as a team within the wider organization? Who is the organization in the world it's in? So there was this much more uh, systemic view of the team and the individual within the team and where they sit within their world and their organization and their culture. And a little bit like a pestle analysis, I suppose, and that you've got all these other things happening in the wider environment, whether it be environmental, whether it be technological. So there's lots of stuff to explore there. And I think where but some teams do go a little bit wrong as we get these blinkers on. You hear people talking about working in silos. Like, this is our stuff and this is what we do. It's, it's encouraging that wider view of where is your role as a team within this organisation and how does it interrelate with and interconnect with other teams, both inside and externally? What, what do your clients think of all this? How are they noticing and seeing this stuff? So it's a massive conversation to have and there's so many factors to it. A resource that teams can use realistically and easily for themselves, but also one that they can use with a coach to get the absolute most from, and one that then takes them uh, into a different level of, of productivity, efficacy, and motivation. I'm guessing that you might be interested in people sort of beta testing it. So maybe if they at least make contact with you through LinkedIn 100%. and put that in the show notes, then they can express their interest in being part of a, a test for you, maybe. Absolutely. I would be delighted to have some test subjects. Okay. Brilliant. And finally, Rachel, if you had to finally. sum up the most extraordinary team in just four words, you know, one week <coughs> leg of the, the sheep or the dog, <laughs> what would they be? The most extraordinary team can laugh at themselves. <laughs> she laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Excellent. We love it. Everybody I was going to come up with four adjectives and I thought, no, that's no, no. Because the most extraordinary teams I've been in have been so humble and they can laugh at themselves. And that's what's made them extraordinary. Love it. I can tell you, Rachel, the ones which have the most fun out in the fields are the ones which have a good sense of humour. And enjoy that banter. We even had somebody once turn up in a, a camouflage morph suit. And <laughs> that was just so, it set the whole tone for the day. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, so you're right, laughter. If you can laugh together, 
then it's it, it's three quarters of the battle, isn't it? I just think it was great for his team to see that. So <laughs> anyway, so thank you so much, Rachel, for your time. It's been great to speak with you, and as always, just an incredibly insightful topic. Um, we'd love to know from you, the listeners, what you found of particular intrigue. If there's anything that really set a, a little light bulb off for you, then to tell us. So you can let us know in your review if you're happy to do so on the podcast platform of your choice. Any resources we've mentioned, um, including possibly Morecambe and Wise Show, <laughs> we'll put it in the show. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. And any past episodes can be found on our website, raisingthebar.com, or where you normally listen to podcasts. So till next week, when we continue in our quest to help build the most extraordinary team in your field, have a brilliant week. Thank you so much. Bye, Rachel. Bye, thank you. Bye for now. Yeah.